The Prime Minister has ordered an investigation into the adventure tourism industry after the death of an English tourist in Queenstown last April. Emily Jordan drowned while on a trip with Mad Dog Riverboarding on the Kauro River, and John Key says over recent weeks he's become aware of a number of worrying cases in the sector. So are more regulations needed? Our Queenstown reporter Steve Wilde investigates. As one of New Zealand's largest rivers, the Kawaro is a mecca for thrill-seeking rafters, riverboarders and jet boaters who brave its freezing waters and conquer its turbulent rapids. And it's here where Emily Jordan, a 22-year-old law graduate from England, drowned while on a riverboarding trip in April last year. For 20 minutes, while the river guides tried freeing her from the rock that trapped her underwater, her boyfriend, Jonathan Armour, watched helplessly and in horror from where I'm standing on the riverbank. His evidence, here read by an actor, provided a compelling testimony at the recent trial of the company Mad Dog Riverboarding and its director, Brad McLeod. I shouted to the guides, someone is underwater, and I looked back and I could see it was Emily. She had a red bit on her board, so I knew it was her. Her hand was sticking out of the water. I shouted again to the guides and they went over to where her hand was sticking out of the water. I knew things were not good. The guides were struggling. They were pulling on her life jacket, trying to pull her out. Then I saw her life jacket go floating past. They'd pulled it off her, over her head. They were really struggling to get her out, and it was a long time she'd been under the water. I screamed to someone to get an ambulance. It was ten minutes since she'd been under. And then I started to cry. I was sobbing. I wanted to get out from where we were, to get over to her. There was an Irish girl on the trip. She held me. She tried to comfort me. Then I saw Emily hoisted out. And one of the guides came over. He said they're working on her, but it doesn't look good. I said, be honest with me. Tell me. He looked away. Another guide came, and I said, just be honest. Tell me. And he sort of put his hand across his chest, like a cross. She was dead. The list of those who have lost their lives while enjoying the many thrill-seeking activities in New Zealand hangs as a dark shadow over the adventure industry. At least ten people have died in the last two years alone. In August 2008, British backpacker Sarah Bond fell 50 metres to her death while on a quad bike trip near Waitomo. September last year, and Chinese tourist Yan Wan was killed when the jet boat she was in flipped over at the confluence of the Kawaro and Shotover rivers. In February this year, trainee British doctor Thomas Donaldson was killed after falling from a boogie board while sand surfing in Northland. And New Zealanders too are dying while on adventure thrills, including the six pupils and their teacher who drowned in the Mangatapopo Gorge while on a canyoning trip in April last year. Emily Jordan's father, Chris Jordan, has called New Zealand's adventure industry substandard. He wrote to the Prime Minister and Minister of Tourism, John Key, asking him to look at the situation. And this week, Mr Key responded by launching an investigation into the sector. I've become aware of a number of concerning cases relating to the events in the adventure tourism sector, the latest being the riverboarding death of British backpacker Emily Jordan. In light of this, uh, and a letter sent to me by Emily's father, Chris Jordan, I have instructed the Minister of Labour, Kate Wilkinson, to lead a cross-departmental investigation of the sector and report back on the current situation and ways to improve risk management and safety. So what will the Prime Ministerial investigation find? 
Stephen Crawford is a water safety consultant. He ran his own Queenstown-based rafting company for 15 years and is often called on by Maritime New Zealand as an expert witness. He says John Key's investigation will discover that New Zealand's current regulatory approach to the adventure field is lacking. That's something with the Health and Safety and Employment Act. It wasn't specifically designed with recreation and tourism and sport in in the forefront. Um, It's been used... um, by by the regulators to to apply to adventure tourism, but it wasn't designed for adventure tourism specifically. It's it's just a bit of a oh well this 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 legislation works we can use it. And in my my thinking, it's very much the the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. By the time you you start applying that legislation, it's after the fact. Yes, operators can look and prepare um, safety plans as per the act. Uh, prior, but in, 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 for example, the Mad Dog case, who was there to audit it? There were no auditors for the Health and Safety Act in their particular circumstance, and I believe in adventure tourism. There are probably quite a few others that, that will be prosecuted under the under any, any breaches of that act, but was there anyone prior? Was there any, any proactivity to, to ensure that they were operating the right way? And I, I think in a lot of cases, adventure tourism activity operators don't have that luxury. There are places like Qualmark, there are um, certain places to find these these things. But unless you're steered in the right direction, um, many operators might not be aware that there is this available or that they indeed have to belong to any organisation at all. The ambulance at the bottom of the cliff is a view that's backed up by one of New Zealand's most successful adventure tourism entrepreneurs. Henry Van Ash and his partner AJ Hackett were left in little doubt that they were expected to carry the full burden of responsibility for safety when they set up commercial bungee operations 20 years ago. Mr Van Ash says it was a steep learning curve, but the standards for bungee jumping have endured to this day. AJ and I at the time um, talked to ACC and the Department of Labour and various others and they said, well, when you kill someone, we'll come in and regulate you so you can't do it. So we then said, well, you know, can you help us develop a code of practice or, you know, whatever, safe operating procedures or whatever. I mean, these are all terms that we were learning as adventurers. Can you help us develop, you know, show us how we will do this? So we actually worked with Standards New Zealand for within about a year of starting. We, we, we embarked on that process. And by 1990, at the end of 1990, two years after we started jumping, we had a, a code of practice which was, was well constructed for um, you know, codes of practices at the time. And we then started to uh, bring in external auditors at the time, Standards New Zealand, to to audit us to that code, and we've continued with that. We still we still operate under that code, and we still have auditors coming in um, to to do that on six monthly basis. Following Emily Jordan's death, Maritime New Zealand quickly moved to prosecute the Mad Dog Riverboarding Company and its director, using the Health and Safety and Employment Act. The government agency claimed the company had failed to take all practicable steps to ensure the safety of its clients. For Maritime New Zealand Director Catherine Taylor, the situation was clear. The regulator can't second guess what the next new emerging activity is going to be and be there ahead of uh, the people that might think up a new idea. And that's part of the New Zealand uh, psyche, if you like. Let's think about AJ Hackett and bungee jumping. So the onus has to go on the operator right from the word go to identify the the risks and minimise those for when they're offering services to people. I believe that he failed to do that. 
Yes, but by leaving everything up to the company, a situation was able to develop where, whereby this company was was working completely in isolation. Now, don't you think Maritime New Zealand had a responsibility here to work alongside Mad Dog Riverboarding to make sure it was doing everything correctly? Well, following the accident, Maritime New Zealand um, worked uh, very swiftly with the industry, first of all, to develop uh, industry guidelines for the safe operation in the industry. And part of our role as the Maritime Safety Regulator is uh, to lead and support uh, the maritime industry to be responsible and take responsibility for their actions. We did that uh, following this accident because we thought uh, there was a need to do that. That has proved very valuable. We also ran a river rescue uh, workshop to actually improve uh, their safety. So we, we considered that the role that we played here was really important. But should the onus of safety have been entirely left to the company, or should other agencies have been more proactive in their efforts? As Queenstown's harbour master Marty Black explains, the Mad Dog Riverboarding operation was never audited and says from a formal point of view his hands were tied by bureaucratic jurisdiction. There's no specific rules that cover um, that activity. There's probably a duty of care and that probably comes under the Health and Safety Act, um, which the company was uh, taken to court on. Uh, the company was operating in the main outside the Queenstown Lakes District area, so we had very little involvement with um, that accident. So the Mad Dog Company was never audited by you or anyone else? Uh, no, we haven't ordered that company because they were operating in the central Otago uh, district area uh, in the main, and that's one of the issues that we obviously will look at is just maybe trying to bring those guys in the fold if they operate in this Queenstown area, they should and they can be uh, audited and so on under the council's new bylaws. Would they have been audited by the Central Otago District Council? Not as far as I'm aware. But it was always inferred in the court that this company was under your jurisdiction. No, not necessarily at all. Um, it's an interesting one because... You know, while we've uh, subsequently, at the request of the police, done an audit on the company, um, we haven't previously done any audits on the company. Would regular audits have picked up on the inadequacies of the Mad Dog riverboarding operation? Life jackets which were not suitable, no throw ropes that would have made any rescue attempt easier, and poor hazard mitigation techniques which, had they been better, may have forced the trip on that fateful day to be cancelled. Insight gave Mad Dog Riverboarding director Brad McLeod numerous opportunities to participate in this documentary. He declined. As soon as we got to New Zealand, we felt about like 20 activities. Skiing, snowboarding, surfing, skydiving. This week, the New Zealand Prime Minister has appeared on the American television networks pushing the tourism line. And at the same time, on the other side of the Atlantic, Tourism New Zealand unveiled a brand new campaign to attract British backpackers to the country. It borrows heavily from the adventure sector, asking visitors to go all the way. I feel like I do everything now. They've done it. Now it's your turn. Go all the way with STA. For the lowest price flights, visit statravel.co.uk and get your New Zealand adventure started. In the campaign, Adventure in New Zealand is presented with glamour and sex appeal. The range of activities are blocked together with soaring film shots and good-looking young people having the time of their lives. The danger is carefully smoothed over and the participants are shown as winners. And the stakes are very high. 
Tourism is New Zealand's biggest earner of foreign exchange, over $20 billion a year, and the frontier element of adventure is one of its major selling points. Emily Jordan's father, Chris, who spoke to me after the trial of Mad Dog Riverboarding, believes New Zealand is inviting people to participate in adventure without the proper regulatory framework to protect their safety. And there are a lot of kids being killed, and what happens thereafter? The problem is they then get somebody else gets killed. Well, that's not right. It's, it's not acceptable to say we're a small country, we don't have the resource to do it, because you're actually taking the money off the individuals who are coming along to do it who believe that it's safe. So if you're prepared to take the money, you've got to have the safety procedures in place. Water safety consultant Stephen Crawford says the New Zealand approach to safety, which may have been acceptable 15 years ago, might not be suitable today. He says changing social norms over the past 10 years have altered the expectations of those who participate in risky activities. More recently, we might not be going far enough in that we may not be recognising our, our customers' expectations of the adventure tourism proposition. And by that I mean that the, the changing um, face of Western society's um, perceptions to risk and to hazards and the contract that exists between a guided operator and, and a client. And if I could put that in a, in a guided um, proposition, the client is, is paying money to the operator and that contract is perceived by the client that all risk is taken on board by the operator and that they themselves have no liability or obligation to be aware of any other hazards or risks that they might have to deal with themselves. And uh, I think certainly New Zealanders who operate a lot of our adventure tourism businesses have come from a background where we are aware of the risks and hazards in our natural environment to a much higher level than our overseas visitors. And we might not be aware that, that our customers have a different perception altogether. It's the kind of like the um, getting on a roller coaster thing, a circus ride thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in that basis, the when you pay for a circus ride or a, or a roller coaster trip, um, the operator does have to take all necessary measures to ensure that the the roller coaster doesn't fall off or you don't fall out. But when we're in the natural environment, there are a whole plethora of of hazards that we can't control. And I think, in light of what's happened recently with with various adventure tourism. Um, injuries and, and fatalities is that w we need to to be clearer in telling our our clients and customers that as an operator we can mitigate many of the hazards some of those hazards though we cannot remove altogether and the and the client or the customer needs to be well aware that they will be required to do some thing whether it's an activity a physical exertion or a, or a maneuver that is going to ensure that they remain safe. Associate Professor at Massey University, Dr Tim Bentley, has been studying the adventure industry for the past decade. He'll be contributing to the Prime Ministerial investigation into the sector. Dr Bentley says the New Zealand adventure industry currently operates in a regulatory environment different to almost everywhere else in the world. The ACC environment doesn't necessarily help here where people um, just like you know in New Zealand for some reason you don't need insurance to drive a car 
similarly, that these responsibilities could be seen to be rather reduced in that, um, you know, that the, the operators can't, for instance, uh, be uh, sued for negligence. Um, it must have been something of a surprise, I imagine, for Emily uh, Jordan's father and, uh, and in similar, similar incidents where we find that, um, you know, the, 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 the ACC environment means and, and the, you know, not having the requirement to have commercial insurance because what happens overseas is yeah. that the insurers essentially take on the role of the mm. the watchdog because you you are not going to be ins- able to be insured for liability if mm. if your operation is not in order that that is one of the important differences let's not get away from the fact that most operators do a great job and would have no problem with those requirements but wouldn't this deal to the those rogue operators and cowboys that um the prime minister was um referring to um where you know some people fall outside that aren't managing their risks appropriately and of course legislation doesn't cover all the activities it covers uh, certain maritime activities and they're obviously looking at extending those uh, aviation activities, but a lot of stuff falls through holes, and that would have been the other surprise to uh, uh, Emily Jordan's father and other people looking at this to see that you know there's not necessarily any, any one body that's responsible for these things. The deaths in the adventure industry have forced the sector to incorporate the safety protocols and systems which now make many of the activities so safe. Lessons have most definitely been learnt, most of them the hard way. Shot Over Jet has earned a reputation as the go-to company for adventure fun. Its big red boats and death-defying manoeuvres in the tight-walled canyons of the Shot Over River have thrilled nearly 3 million passengers in its 40-year history. But 10 years ago this week, Shot Over Jet was rocked to the core when Japanese tourist Yuchiro Shibata was killed just downstream from where I'm standing. Shot over jets, business manager Clark Scott is still haunted by that day. We don't like dwelling on that particular um, episode. Um, Unfortunately, it was a component failure and it it involved a steering component and the boat unfortunately um, careered off course and um, impacted against a rock. And it's here in the company's workshops where the legacy of that day is never forgotten. From Ichiro Shibata's death came significant change as Shot Over Jet went back to the drawing board, redesigning its boats and implementing a safety program second only to the aviation industry. We actually adopted a maintenance philosophy, for want of a better term, that was derived from the aircraft industry. Um, Its abbreviation is RCM, which stands for Reliability Centred Maintenance. And... I guess, in my best uh, layman's terms, how RCM works is you take down or you look at every critical component on a um, on an aircraft or in our case a jet boat, and you take that component and ask a question: If that component failed, could it put human beings in risk? If the answer is yes you do uh, essentially one of two things. You put another one in, so you have got uh, mitigation, so you've got backups, so if one fails, you've got a second one still operating, or you go to a redesign situation where you redesign that component to um, hopefully prevent it failing in, a, in that application.
Commercial jet boating in Queenstown has always set the standard for the whole of New Zealand, but those standards have evolved and improved, mostly off the back of fatalities. Here's Queenstown Lakes District Mayor Clive Geddes. I lost a really good friend in the uh, 80s to a jet boat accident on the Kawara River, a major accident, uh, multiple deaths, uh, and was involved in the group of people that uh, helped recover bodies, uh, recovered the boats, undertook a search for my friend's body, who, which was never found, uh, up and down the uh, Kawara River for some weeks afterwards. And... Um, had also um, been part of um, the loss of another friend jet boating on the on the quarry. So these things affect you personally, and it was out of that second accident that the jet boating community in Queenstown sat down in the private bar of Wicked Willie's Pub and wrote ourselves a jet boat code of practice, which was tabled and accepted by the then Marine Division of the Ministry of Transport. And that was, uh, I think, probably the first self-imposed safety code in New Zealand. And uh, the council's bylaw today still contains the largest elements of that code of practice. But it comes out of um, being involved in something that is an absolute tragedy. And that uh, that is both unfortunate and fortunate. It's unfortunate because of the circumstance... It's fortunate that we can learn from these things and create a better and safer environment for adventure activities to take place in. And I think that's borne out, if you think back over the past 20 years since that accident, um, certainly in this district there's been one or two fatalities on jet boats. Um, That code of practice, I believe, um, is largely responsible for that um, that safe operation safer operating record and of course with time it's been amended and changed to cope with larger boats and and uh, different use of rivers etc. The rafting industry too has learned from past mistakes. Vance Boyd is the owner of Queenstown Rafting and says while regulation may be seen by many as a panacea, safety goes much deeper. I think the main regulating thing is, is simply of a desire or should be a desire by all companies not to go doing anything that uh, it's going to cause them sleepless nights, and um, sure, the the regulation is 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 part of the part of the scene, but it's not the be all and end all. And I don't think that that uh, people's perception of problems in any area in New Zealand will suddenly be fixed by regulating. Um, I mean, you know, the, the, and we see that all the time. I mean, the fact that uh, we have rules to say that we shouldn't drink and drive, or we shouldn't drive fast and things, uh, doesn't necessarily change behaviour. It's 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 deeper than that. The Prime Ministerial inquiry into adventure tourism is likely to show that the modern commercial jet boating and rafting industries today operate to the very highest standards of safety. But that's come about through a combination of state regulation and the development of protocols from within the individual adventure companies. Safety expert Stephen Crawford is one who would like to see the lessons learned from rafting and jet boating extended to cover all of the adventure industry. I think adventure tourism should have some guidelines or regulations or rules in place that, that apply to everyone in adventure tourism because we are perceived, New Zealand is perceived as a very safe place and safe is such a broad term but safe as in well if we offer a product or an activity it must be safe, it's perceived as safe because it's offered 
If it wasn't safe, it wouldn't be in the marketplace. So we do need to, to be thinking about some generic guidelines. There are some industries that have specific guidelines. Rafting, for example, has Rule 80 that, that requires operators to, to follow a whole set of procedures, have safety plans, have audits, and should they operate outside what they themselves have said is how we're going to operate, well, they're in breach of their, of their operating procedures and, and could be found um, liable on that basis. The Tourism Industry Association Advocacy Manager Jeff Ensor also believes it's time for a more cohesive structure between the various regulatory bodies, ministries and adventure operators. He says an agency which manages mandatory external audits is an option the government should consider. In terms of perhaps the odd operator not stepping up to the, the challenges of lifting their standards as high as we would like, and, and we are talking about a you know perhaps a tiny percentage here, but that is one of the reasons we would be advocating for uh, now and you know when we perhaps work more collectively with other agencies is the importance of external audits of of some oversight on a on a regular basis, whether it be annually or biannually. But I think that must be considered as best practice, having external eyes on a regular basis, looking at your business, asking questions, and sharing. Uh, best practice from either others in your sector or across sectors. Qualmark is a government agency which has been quality assessing tourism businesses since 1993. It has an emphasis on service that could well be called upon to administer a mandatory adventure tourism auditing program. Director Jeff Penrose says it would take very little for the Qualmark organisation to provide a robust auditing scheme. I think we'd certainly be interested. I mean, we've got uh, 10 assessors that are regionally located around the country, so, and we currently assess 2,200 businesses, so there's a certain size and scale advantage we've got already. And that may well be something that, uh, if that option was put forward, we'd, we'd certainly look at it very, very closely. Tim Bentley from Massey University says any recommendations from the Prime Minister's investigation should avoid knee-jerk reactions and should be tempered by informed debate. And that's backed up by Jeff Ensor, who warns that any recommendations need to be carefully considered. I am nervous of any hint of a knee-jerk reaction, particularly in a regulatory sense, not because um, I'm a you know, the Tourism Industry Association is opposed to regulation, and in fact most of our uh, sectors are regulated, but because a, a, a quickly uh, instigated and uh, incorrect uh, um, regulation is uh, potentially you know, quite damaging and may miss the mark in total. So what I would like to see and what we're pushing for is, is actually uh, a much more collective approach by uh, organisations, as I said, like the Department of Labour, Maritime New Zealand, Civil Aviation Authority, Tourism New Zealand, ourselves, and the operators working together to instil the sort of culture, the sort of leadership, the sort of guidelines, uh, albeit overseen in, a, in an external audited way, uh, and moving the industry forward. We are strong, we do have a good reputation, but we can build on that, and we do need to keep evolving. That's where I see it going, and that's what we'll be pushing for very actively, a very careful and thoughtful approach, but certainly not sitting on our hands. Certainly we need to be moving forward. While the Mad Dog Riverboarding Company appeared to slip through the regulatory cracks, it appears that the big players in the New Zealand adventure industry are operating to the very highest standards, applying the harsh lessons learnt from the past. What the government investigation will need to decide is whether to take the lessons learnt in both rafting and jet boating and extend those to the wider adventure community. That insight was written and presented by Steve Wilde. Technical production was by Damon Taylor. It was produced by Sue Ingram.